Listener Production. Hey guys, and welcome to The Briefing. I'm Katrina Blowers. It is Wednesday, the 15th of September. And on today's briefing, we are joined by a name you might recognise, Liz Ellis, the former Aussie netball captain. And she's part of a campaign called The Cool Down. It's about saying to sports, what are we going to do? How are we going to clean up our own backyard? If we're asking politicians to lift their sites, we've got to lift our sites as well. So it's about a team effort. It's about everyone doing their bit. Yeah, so over 400 big-name Aussie athletes have lent their names to a campaign to address climate change. We'll tell you all about the cool-down on today's briefing. That's in the second half. But first up, Antoinette Latouf is here with the headlines. Experts say Sydney's COVID restrictions are working and that we should keep them in place as health authorities say they're encouraged by a drop in new cases. It's too early to know if we're flattening the curve, but we're seeing pleasingly so far that uh, cases haven't been increasing as fast as they have been. So finally, some good news there, Antoinette, for New South Wales. Our Deputy Chief Health Officer, Jeremy McAnulty, speaking there yesterday. New South Wales announced 1,127 new cases yesterday, and that's the lowest number in 13 days. While the proportion of the 16-plus population with at least one jab is expected to hit 80% today. Epidemiologists say those new numbers are encouraging, but it is vital lockdown restrictions stay in place in Sydney. So state leaders have come under pressure to release several suburbs from the toughest rules. But in new modelling released yesterday by the Burnett Institute, they said that the lockdown rules were doing the lion's share of keeping cases down and they should be kept in place or expanded. Katrina, yesterday the state premier, Gladys Berejiklian, and while she wasn't at the press conference, mm. she did hold several virtual meetings with the mayors of those Sydney hotspot LGAs. And it's interesting because up until now she'd refused to meet with a lot of those leaders. And the mayor said that those meetings were quite heated and they didn't get any promises from the premier about lifting or raising restrictions. But I'm, I'm just so worried that the temperature down here in Sydney, I just fear there's going to be a rise in civil disobedience. There's people who are super frustrated that over the yeah. weekend, there were all those people at Bondi enjoying the sun and the beach, and as they should if they live close to a beach. But in, in other areas where it was super hot and people are at home living in apartments, they feel that not only are the rules unfair, they're being policed unfairly. The fines are being issued more in those lockdown suburbs and I don't know, I think something has to give or people are going to really start reacting badly. Sunday is when Victorians will find out what their path out of lockdown is going to look like, with the state on track to hit 70% first dose vaccinations by the end of the week. There'll be a map that talks about what we're going to do in the rest of September, what we're going to do in October, what we're going to do in November. I will have more to say about schools, more to say about social gatherings, more to say about the economy and all of its different sectors. All of that will be out there on Sunday. That was Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews. So Melbourne and the regional city of Shepparton have been in lockdown since the beginning of last month. So far, the government's already committed to increasing travel limits from 5 to 10 kilometres once the 70% first dose threshold is reached. And that's expected to happen on Friday. 
Yeah, and some health experts are predicting restrictions on outdoor gatherings will be the first to be lifted as those vaccination rates continue to rise. So Antoinette, first dose at 70% by Friday, and they're expecting that uh, double dosed, that 70% figure will be reached by November, and then 80% by early December. So Victoria, really leading the way here. Good on you, Victoria. And hopefully they'll be able to have a picnic soon like people in Sydney, but Hopefully, Dan Andrews allows all of them to have a picnic, not just half of the city. Hospitality owners have called on state and federal governments to set the rules requiring people be vaccinated to enter restaurants, saying the issue is a legal minefield for businesses. So some of the big names in pub and restaurant ownership in Sydney, including Neil Perry and Craig Laundie of Told News Corp, they could face legal action over whether they choose to require vaccinations for staff and customers or not. A bit of a tricky one here. And it comes at an interesting time, Katrina, given the UK has ditched its vaccine passports program. Restaurateurs say they're being made the gatekeepers for the public as lockdown states such as New South Wales prepare to open up as vaccinations increase. And on social media, I've seen other places of small businesses like hairdressers say they can't afford to turn customers away. It's just like in Queensland when we've had those latest outbreaks pop up. Uh, The Premier has really come down hard on businesses for not policing the QR codes when people Mm. enter the shops. But it actually is up to those individual businesses. There's no one else really monitoring that. And you're right, Antoinette, these business owners say they've had a hard enough time Mm -hmm. recently and they've got enough on their plate. Why do they have to do this too? Canadian PM Justin Trudeau is saying he will ban people from protesting against vaccines outside hospitals. And this is in his pitch to win a snap election. That's what Canadians do. We stick up for each other. We stick up for the most vulnerable and we stick up for those caring for our most vulnerable. It is not okay that across the country, hospitals are having to put up barricades. Wow. So hospitals across Canada... They've been targeted by protests this week, opposing vaccine mandates and other public health measures. Trudeau says his party would make it a criminal offence to block access to buildings that provide health care. The Canadian PM is fighting to hold on to power after calling an election for next week, with polls showing he has a small lead over his Conservative opponents. All right. Thank you, Antoinette. That's our headlines for today. Up next, Annika is going to jump back in. We are talking to former Aussie netball captain Liz Ellis over a huge campaign. Athletes are jumping on board to address climate change. Hey, Katrina Blowers and Annika Smithhurst here with you with today's briefing topic. And when you think about climate change and extreme weather events, maybe you haven't really stopped to think about how it might affect one of our nation's greatest pastimes, watching and playing sport. But actually, extreme weather has already had a major impact on professional sport in recent years. Bushfire smoke from the January 2020 bushfires in Canberra forced the cancellation of cricket, 
basketball and soccer. While temperatures at 43 degrees in Melbourne last year prompted organisers of the Australian Tennis Open to activate their extreme heat policy and suspend all matches on outdoor courts. So a group of more than 300 big name Aussie athletes headed up by former rugby union great David Pocock. He's also recruited people like swimmers Kate and Bronte Campbell and surfer Mick Fanning have teamed up to demand the nation's leaders take bold action as extreme weather becomes more frequent. They're saying it will not only jeopardise the Australian way of life, but sport at every level. Their campaign is called The Cool Down. And to tell us more about it is retired Australian netball captain Liz Alice, who has joined the campaign. Liz, thanks for joining us. We were wondering what you're hoping to achieve by bringing together well-known athletes to tell us about climate change. Is it more about raising awareness in the public or would you like to see action from our leaders? Oh, look, it's a bit of both. So the thing about sports people in this country is that we've got pretty big platforms and Australians love sport. So we're able to speak to a lot of people. So the raising awareness about climate change, that has been largely done. Polling suggests that over 70% of Australians want something done to address climate change and that goes across all political groups, all political persuasions and just about, it's a majority in just about every seat in Australia. So we know the awareness is there. It's more about asking our leaders to do what we do on the sporting field. You know, Australia punches above its weight in sport all over the world. We've just seen the Paralympics finish with 21 gold medals. We've just seen the Olympics finish with 16 gold medals. You know, we sit in the top 10 of those sporting tables, but we are nowhere near the top 10 when it comes to addressing the impacts of climate change and addressing the causes of climate change. So it's really about raising that awareness to a degree, but it's also about asking our politicians to set the bar high and to be really ambitious about addressing climate change. Often when sportsmen and women start talking about social issues or political issues, they're met with criticism like stick to sport Do you think sport (laughs) and politics should mix? And are there examples where it's actually helped impact change? Well, I actually think that this is above sport and politics, isn't it? This is something that is crucial to the survival of humankind and to the survival of civilizations. And if you start, the problem is it has become political, whereas this shouldn't actually be a political issue. It should be something that we look at as a community and say, actually, we need to do something about this. But in order to base it, where our expertise is. We've looked at sport and the impact on sport is obvious of climate change. Um, You know, by 2050, we'll be having heat waves in major Australian cities of up to 50 degrees. You can't play cricket in that sort of conditions. You can't play tennis. Our summer sports will be heavily impacted both at the elite end and at the grassroots end. The last thing you want to do is send your little kids out on the weekend to play cricket if it's 40 and 50 degrees, standing in the sun for three hours. That's pretty deadly. So all these flow and effects to sport, which is the great Australian pastime and the great Australian passion, are coming from climate change. So I do feel a bit frustrated when sports people get told to stay in their lane. I mean, as it turns out, a lot of us have a lot of strings to our bow. You know, I'm university educated, so I, I like to think about a lot of different things. And to me, this is the most the most pressing sort of issue of our time. And the world is one big ecosystem. And as athletes, we're part of that ecosystem, most directly with sport. But, you know, we all think about different things. Over 400 athletes have signed up to the cool down and we're all passionate about making change and doing it in a way that has a positive impact on sport. 
at all levels, elite and junior and grassroots. Yeah, so in those uh, open letters, you're calling on our leaders to commit to net zero emissions before 2050. And that's something that the government is looking at ahead of a global summit in Scotland later this year. So would you mind explaining how important is that and what will it do to the climate if we achieve that? Well, we're already seeing the effects of climate change because we've already seen climate, the temperature rise on average 1.1 degree. And if we don't do anything, we're going to see rises of three and four degrees, which means that sea levels massively increase. Climate events get more extreme, both heat and cold, increasing winds, fan, increasingly ferocious bushfires. You know, drought gives those bushfires a chance to have lots of fuel. So we've all seen the effects of all of those things in Australia in the last few years, and we're seeing the effects of horrific flooding overseas. So already we're starting to see the effects of climate change. If we look to hit net zero emissions by 2050, it'd be great to be able to keep global warming below 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial temperatures. So there's still going to be an effect. There's still going to be climate change related disruptions all over the world and death all over the world from extreme weather events. And we've seen that happening. But if we can hit net zero emissions by 2050, then at least that starts to provide a future that actually looks like it's livable beyond 2050. And there will be some effects of climate change, but I think that humans are smart enough to start to mitigate those effects if we can keep the rise of temperature to 1.5 degrees. Beyond that, things get very, very difficult. And, you know, it's a difficult conversation to have. I'm really aware of the fact that when you start talking about this, you start talking about reducing climate impacts. It does have an impact on people's jobs. But one of the things that most sports people are really good at is understanding strategy and planning for the future. And, you know, you don't win a gold medal just by turning up once every four years. You spend years, you spend decades planning for that and strategizing your training and your race. And that's something that we think politicians can do really well as well, is to start to think long term and start to strategize for that. One argument that some politicians put up is that even if Australia does achieve net zero, big emitters like China need to do more. So given the power of the global sporting community, would you like to see more international athletes lobby their governments for change? Sport is one of those things that has a huge amount of power and influence because we see politicians want to get their photos taken with sports people all the time across the world. So, yeah, that would be terrific. I also think that that's a bit of a straw man argument, putting up the fact that, you know, China's not doing enough or India's not doing enough. We're starting to see change already in those governments and we're starting to see an understanding that you've got to actually start to push for net zero emissions in order to keep your businesses going and to keep your economy alive beyond 2050. So, You know, I come from a sport where everyone does their little bit and it's like saying, well, we're only going to win if we'll just let the goal attack do it all because she can score all the goals. No, in my sport, everyone has their own role to play. And, you know, even the lowly goalkeeper like I was who stands up the back has a bit of a job to do. And I think if we look at it that way, you know, a lot of us who have signed up for the cool down come from team sports. Everyone's got a job to do and Australia has its job to do. The thing that really strikes me about this is that even if you think to yourself as a politician that, well, you know, what what can little old Australia do? What difference can we make? There is a huge opportunity for us in being a world leader in technology to be able to develop energy that doesn't rely on coal and fossil fuels. So the ability for Australia to lead the way on renewable energy and, you know, we've got a surplus, we've got so much sunshine and so much wind that we could turn into a massive renewable energy business and lead the world 
and absolutely transform our economy. To me, you don't need to be scared of something to embrace it. You can actually go, right, where's the opportunities? Let's address those opportunities and let's make as much money as we can from them because we can lead the world because we've been blessed with so much sunshine. All right. So let's talk about some of the the sports stars who get criticised for their carbon footprints, uh, the ones that I guess travel around the world on planes. What do you actually reckon can be done with sports stars and their codes to lessen their impact on the environment? You can always look at these things and say, oh, but that sports person flies first class in a private jet. Yep, absolutely. So as part of this, it's about saying to sports, what are we going to do? How are we going to clean up our own backyard? If we're asking politicians to lift their sites, we've got to lift our sites as well. So it's about a team effort. It's about everyone doing their bit. And finally, like sport politics, it's it's really easy to yell from the sidelines, but it can be different when you're on the field. Now, we've seen a lot of former sports people go into politics, Nova Paris Kneebone, Damien Drum, John Alexander, Glenn Lazarus. Is that something you'd ever consider about a new way to maybe lobby for change? Yeah, look, I've considered it and I consider it often. My answer to that is that it's a long way into the future. Um, It's certainly not something that I'd rule out. It's something that I'd probably enjoy. But I've got a little family. So at the moment they need their mum at home. But eventually it's something that I I would like to go into because I feel like I could make change. And I've been really heartened to see what Zali Stegel's been able to do in federal politics. I think she's done a terrific job as an independent being able to actually address the issues that she was elected to do. So, you know, she's not constrained by party alliances and the need to toe the party line, and I think she's been really refreshing. So I'm really heartened to see athletes walk the walk as well as talk the talk, and, yeah, perhaps down the line for me it might be something that I'll consider. But for the moment... I'm focused on my kids, but part of being focused on my kids is thinking about their future. And this is my first step in walking the walk and start to ask our politicians who are paid the big bucks to do this sort of stuff to lift their eyes and be ambitious. So Annika, you cover politics as your day job. Do you reckon Liz's voice would be a welcome inclusion into that space? She's very articulate. She certainly is. Look, I'd like to think it would. I'm not saying that sports people don't have significant weight to throw around in Australia and especially collectively, we all know how much we love our sport. Unfortunately, though, there has been a lot of pressure from business, from as sports people now, from the public on this issue And it just is a really difficult one for MPs to navigate. It's not equal, the impact, I guess, that's spread out across the electorates. So whilst it's quite an easy decision for MPs from some electorates, both politically and economically for jobs and and other things in their electorates, it's harder, that decision for other politicians. So look, I do think we're moving in the right direction. The Prime Minister has given the most movement in this space that we've seen from the coalition in a long time but he is meeting resistance. So it'll be interesting to see what happens ahead of Glasgow. But I think it's a good time for these athletes to do it, given that global talk later in the year. And coming up on tomorrow's briefing, why you, yes, you should give an F about farming. Listener.